0: Welcome to the Open House Podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au It's an enormous privilege to now introduce to you the voice behind this mega monstrous hit. The, carnival is over. the year is 1965. The song The Carnival is over. At the height of Beatlemania with the Rolling Stones at full throttle. That song outsold both The Beatles and The Stones and remains in the UK's top 100 best-selling singles of all time. The group, four Aussies, The Seekers. The lady singing, Judith Durham, who after a singing career of 50 years is back on tour, billed as Australia's original pop princess and I'm so honoured to welcome her to Open House. Judith Durham, Welcome.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful introduction, thank you very, it's very much It's such
0: a treat to have you on the program
1: Oh, thank you Judith,
0: this career of yours spanning those decades is actually a product of a prayer that your mother said before you were born
1: That's <laughs> true, she didn't want her baby to be tone deaf And the same with my sister too, and Beverly also is a wonderful singer So, you know, I mean, isn't it amazing to think that those influences are what's brought this about to me? It's a gift from somewhere.
0: Of all the things that she could do as a pregnant mum, why do you think she prayed, and why do you think she prayed that prayer of all the things that she could do?
1: I believe, of course, music was very important to her and to Dad, and they sacrificed a lot so that my sister and I could have piano lessons. You know, I know that she always used to say how she wouldn't have been comfortable having a child growing up learning to play the violin because you'd have to go through all the out-of-tune screechy stage. (laughs) For
0: years. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so I think, you know, it's interesting how as time's gone by in my own career and in record production and, of course, you know, producing my own albums as well, recently co-producing, I've become more and more aware how important it is for me for something to be totally in tune. It upsets me. You know, I find it very, very uncomfortable if something is slightly off-tune. Totally. So it's very likely that Mum had that same pitch-perfect sensitivity.
0: You went on to study music at quite a high level through your childhood, didn't you?
1: Yes, I did, and thanks to Mum and Dad, I'll, I'll never be able to thank them in my heart enough. I had 11 years of, of classical piano. I ended up studying with Professor Ronald Price um, at the University of Melbourne, oh you know he took me right through i i actually got my a must say and i did carry on for a year after that but singing had really started to take over my life i didn't have the time to dedicate to the amount of practice that i really should have been doing so i did um opt out but it's a sad thing that you you know you don't realize how as time goes on you'll lose your proficiency and I still can play, but I I know now that I'd reached a very high level.
0: And yet I'm sure none of that was wasted in the musical career that unfolded then.
1: No, look, that's true. But the realisation is really hitting me more and more that my parents equally gave a huge amount of value to my musical tuition simply by buying sheet music for me. They realised that I was a very, very keen sight reader once I understood about sight reading. That was my huge treat. I didn't want lollies and toys and all the rest of it. I just wanted some sheet music so I could play more tunes.
0: I get that. I get that.
1: <laughs> I love it. Do you play an instrument yourself?
0: Oh, yeah, a few, but <laughs> nothing yes. nothing like studying under professor.
1: Well, look, it was a huge adventure. I just wanted more and more difficult music. It was the fun of seeing what came out of the printed dots on the page because we didn't have a record player. So all of the tunes really were virtually unknown to me. There were very few that I knew the tune of. So I would just read the music on the page, and all the words were there, so I'd sing along, and that was how my repertoire expanded. And I'm so grateful to my parents. Um, I had several piano teachers. They always, of course, gave me the syllabus that I was meant to be studying for the different exams, but my interest in piano went far beyond those tunes and those classical pieces.
0: And then you were drawn to jazz and Dixieland gospel. What was it about them or the people with that music that you were drawn to it?
1: Look, that was quite an interesting period of my life. Of course it was all the rage. I mean, many people who are listening to your show I'm sure would remember what a lot of people overlook: the fact that pre-Beatles the dances where all the young people went, uh, either they were rock and roll or they were trad jazz, traditional vintage Dixieland jazz. Yes. And the interesting side of that, when I understood that repertoire more and more, how much it drew on gospel music. Yeah. I knew of th- Negro spirituals, as we used to call them, and I used to have some music for those, and I'd enjoy singing them, and I had some a hymn book from our family history, So I used to love singing anything that was religious, but it didn't have the beat that jazz music had. So that was a big change for me to see how the African-American people would interpret the music with the wonderful gospel message, of course, but they were happy because they were truly getting that message and understanding the joy of it all and expressing it in a style that, of course, I'd never been introduced to. So that was when I was 18 that I understood. And not only that, but to discover the ragtime music that Scott Joplin was writing, that other, more sophisticated, I suppose you'd say, um, style of writing ragtime. So all this came about, I was listening to the blues of Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey and the gospel music of Mahalia Jackson and Sister Rosetta Tharp. And when I became uh, joined with The Seekers... Keith introduced me to some of the gospel quartets, Spirit of Memphis Quartet. Really beautiful harmonies, of course, but that infectious rhythm that that gave it huge joy to the music was amazing.
0: There have been so many conversations we've had with musicians where from different contexts you see how powerful an impact gospel music had on lots of other genres of music.
1: Oh, without a doubt. Well, the interesting thing for me was when I sang for about a year with various jazz bands... And, of course, a high spot for me in my sets that I used to do with Frank Trainers, Jazz Preachers, for instance, um, I would do We Shall Not Be Moved, you know, as a gospel tune. And just to close a walk with the Pearly Gates, somebody played me a record. I think it was Graham Bell's brother, Roger Bell, a trumpet player. He gave me a single of a Scottish duo singing Open Up Them Pearly Gates. And so I was singing those songs in my jazz sets on the, about every night of the week I was going out and doing that. So when I then joined up with the Seekers, which was very, very casual introduction to them, just the fun really initially, and I found that some of the songs that I had been doing would suit the group perfectly, and equally they would already be singing, say, Down by the Riverside, for instance, and that was already one of the tunes I was doing with the jazz band. So it all crossed over, the folk world, the gospel world, and the trad jazz world, And, of course, the classical world, you know, before that, that wonderful influence of of gospels and spirituality crossed over through all of them.
0: You began your singing career one night at a jazz club when you just simply asked to get up and sing.
1: Yes, I did. Oh. I had to be a bit persistent. They turned me away the first time I... Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I didn't look like Who a singer. Who are you?
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: I was, I didn't look at all like a singer. And I was quite, you know, um, very straight-laced and, uh, you know, of course, bed and brawn and bred to be a very polite young lady. And, of course, I was classically trained. And so I just didn't look at all. What <laughs> like made you to, ask to get up? Just the thrill, the... The infectious um, quality of the music, I just wanted to have the experience of singing with with that backing. Oh, it was a complete turnaround. And, and bearing in mind, I was about to start learning opera, so within two months I was booked with a singer to, to have my voice classically trained. So this was my moment to just have a go at singing this other style of music. Now, there was a young girl here, you may not know in your area, Judy Jarks She's very uh, well known down here in jazz circles, and she was already singing with a the band, and they were very, very popular with the Yarra Yarra Jazz Band. So I knew it could be done, even though I'd only heard the greats on record other than her. It kind of gave me courage, you know, that I could try. And I'd been listening to Bessie Smith's records and Mahalia Jackson's records, so I was really steeped in that in that genre. Yeah. And I just felt I could somehow do it.
0: And forget the opera.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, look, I didn't know I was going to forget the opera. To be quite honest, Mum was worried I was going to strain my voice, of course. Yes. And, in fact, she took me along to speak to uh, June Bronhill backstage. You know, I very sheepishly walked into June Bronhill's dressing room and, you know, Mum set it up beforehand. Would she speak to this young girl who was hopefully going to be a singer one day? And June was very, very kind to see me like that. And she said, look, be very, very careful. You could, well, strain your voice because yeah. it's, it was pretty loud music.
0: And this is about 18.
1: <laughs> yes, I, was, I think I must have been 18. Yes, because I recorded my first little EP with Frank Trainer's band at 19. And that's when I had just met up with the Seekers.
0: Which we'll talk about now on Open House, where with Judith Durham. So this meeting with Athel Guy, Bruce Woodley and Keith Potker was a very casual kind of introduction.
1: Oh, it was indeed. I mean, I don't necessarily believe things happen by coincidence. I believe in the divine hand. Yes. Mum was concerned that um, I wasn't earning enough money, and I'd been in my job as a secretary at the Idea Hospital for two years. And so she said, Look, you probably should try and get a job that's better paid. So I went along for an interview in a place called J. Walter Thompson, not realising that it was an advertising agency. So when I got out of the lift and saw advertising, I thought, oh, dear, you know, they're not going to want me. (laughs) Anyway, I thought, oh, well, I'm here now. I might as well go in. And uh, they gave me the job. He rang up the next day and said, come along. And so I started on the Monday. And when I got there and I told all the girls I was singing with jazz bands, They said, oh, there's another singer who's working in this office. His name's Athol Guy, one of the account executives. So I went along to Athol. I'd spoken once to Athol on the phone because my sister had got to know him. She worked at Channel 9. So I bowled up and I said, hi, you know, I'm Judy Duffer. He said, oh, I've been meaning to come and hear you, which, of course, he probably never would. But uh, (laughs) he said, why don't you come along? Because he was singing with Keith and Bruce and... He said, come along tonight and have a bit of a sing with us. So I thought, oh, well, I've got nothing to lose. So Bruce came and picked me up, and they were all absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) And I thought, oh, you know, I don't know that I fit in here, really, because I was so plain Jane. Anyway, it was great. It was fun, and I sang harmonies where I could. And, and, uh, you know, I did the odd little solo, which was kind of, you know, fitting. And uh, then, so therefore, every Monday, it was the first Monday, and... So we then carried on, and every Monday I'd do that with the boys.
0: Do you reckon it click with them from that first night?
1: Oh, look, it did, yes, it yeah. did. And you'll never guess he's told us since that he was in the audience on that night, Yeah. if you can believe this. <laughs> Eight years old, under one of the tables with his parents, was Clive Palmer.
0: You're kidding.
1: Isn't that brilliant? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic?
0: A man of the moment.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he loves the arts, doesn't he? So, you yes. know, born and How bred, amazing. obviously, from his parental influence. Yeah. But there you go. So he really, literally, can remember that.
0: Can you put into words the delight that it was to be up there singing with them when it started to really click and then fire? What was that experience like for you?
1: Oh, wow. Wow. There was no doubt a buzz. There was always a buzz, yes. In those days, there weren't standing ovations. You know, it wasn't that sort of thing in Australia. And they were reasonably small audiences before we went overseas. But you could just tell that people liked the sound. And interesting that we're talking about Gospels because we always put Just a Closer Walk With Thee in every show just about, even if we only did three or four songs. That was one of them. And you could always hear a pin drop, even if we were performing in a hotel, which we, we then, not that long later, you know, we had a gig at one of the federal hotels. In fact, we went up to Queensland. That was our very first fully professional gig just prior to us going overseas. But you could hear a pin drop when the Gospels, we always included the Gospels, no matter what the environment was. Yes. But some of them, of course, up-tempo Gospels, like This Little Light of Mine, for instance, and, of course, Pearly Gates, and We Shall Not Be Moved, came into our repertoire. And it was a tremendous excitement of that lovely feeling. So in
0: 1964, you guys score a gig as the Seekers as the musical entertainment on board the cruise ship Fair Sky on the way to the UK. Mm. Now, you're only intending to go there and return 10 weeks later.
1: Oh, that was the deal, yes. In fact, we were doing cruises. We, we were offered... The actual deal was a cruise to Fiji, then to go overseas, then to come back, And we were going to then go to Samoa or, you know, one of the other South Sea Island uh, routes. And then the Tokyo Olympics. So that was literally on the card. So we would have been on the boat for about nine months if that had all come about, which was a pretty decent thing to do, you know. Sure. So, but when we got over to England, we were on television just about the first night we got there. And we were on the Palladium within six weeks. And then we were on television series.
0: How did that happen?
1: Oh, so not, quickly. just because we were very fortunate. Horry Dargie, the uh, harmonica quintet, Horry Dargie Quintet, he strongly recommended that Athel should send over a demo of some kind to an agency in London who'd been booking the Horry Dargie Quintet over there. And so that happened, and when we got to London, um, a fellow called Eddie Jarrett had already seen and a clip of us being on, um, uh, in Melbourne tonight and uh, listened to our album, which we'd recorded with W&G, and he was very impressed, and so he picked up the phone and and let people know. And we were on the current affair, literally sort sort of show. I mean, uh, I think it was called the Tonight Show, which was current affairs program to say this group had got off a boat from Australia and here they are, folks. So, you know. <laughs>
0: Take us through the roller coaster oh. that it must have been. How your music took off. What was it like being on that roller coaster at still a pretty tender age?
1: Oh yeah, well that's very true. And, of course, away from home, you know, from from mum and dad and my sister um, was luckily over in London. So that helped a lot. Look, it was amazing. I mean, now I'd find it difficult to keep up. You know, it really was a lot of variety of things we were doing, a bit of travelling, all by train initially, of course, and just adjusting. But, you know, luckily I was with the three guys and I think that would have made it much, much easier for me. I don't know whether I would have been able to do it on my own although I'd originally thought I was going to go on my own. So, yeah, it was just a whirlwind. And, and, of course, you take it for granted. When you're young, you sort of think that this happens to everybody. You know, <laughs> you just have to turn up. But, of course, we know now we can see the evidence with shows like Australian Idol or something. Where You know, there's 10,000 people who'd like to be doing what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so it just seemed like it was a put out for us, laid out for us. We, we had that uniqueness, though, I think. That's what made us stand out. We were very fresh-faced and friendly, normal people, so we weren't the long-haired electric instruments, you know.
0: (laughs) And you'd had a bath.
1: Yes, indeed, we had. (laughs) (laughs) Can
0: you give us a couple of snapshots of your most powerful memories, some of the highs and lows of that time?
1: Oh, well, always performing with the Queen Mother there was wonderful. The huge crowd at the My Music Bowl, 200,000 people, that was wonderful. Becoming Australians of the Year was absolutely amazing. So many. Number one with Georgie Girl to be the first Australian group to ever do that. I mean, it's, it's there's just so many.
0: Did the four of you always get on?
1: Oh, yes, always. We're still very good friends today, too. It's wonderful. A yeah. lot of respect. Yeah, I think the respect thing is a very big part of our relationship. It's common sense of humour. That, you know, we were always laughing. And all the boys are very witty. Yeah. And we just seem to have a very... Um, Similar kind of sense of humour. So, you know, a lot of it's fairly nonsense, but it just bonds you.
0: (laughs) It always shows. So, you're now on the first concert tour since 2001. What led you to jump back on the horse again?
1: Well, this is a solo tour. Now, you know, this is a big deal for me. I don't often have an opportunity like this, as you can tell. So, the, the demand from the fans has been unrelenting. So many emails to my website. So I've seen from all that, people coming from overseas, they said, look, we'll come anywhere. Wherever you're going to do the concert, we'll be there. So I thought, look, I've just got to somehow do this and put one step on the stage and see how I go. So it's wonderful, I'm putting a whole program together of bits of the music all through my five decades, and some of the Seekers hits will be in there, of course. But I'm writing songs myself, so a lot of my own things from the recent albums, some of the songs from the Australian City Suite, which is only just out. Yes. So I'll be doing the song from each of the cities where I'm performing, if it's the capital city. And if it's not a capital city, of course, I would be doing Our Town, which is for anybody else who doesn't live in the capital <laughs> city. So, but I hope everyone's going to come and have a great night, and I'm really looking forward to I'm sure to
0: they will. With the wealth of your experience, is it daunting at all?
1: Oh, look, life is daunting. (laughs) You know, getting up in the morning is daunting, (laughs) isn't it? I know that feeling, yes. (laughs) Oh, look, I know from the emails, as I say, people have poured their hearts out to me. They tell me that the music I'm making is meaningful for them and uplifting for them. And I see it as a way of helping people. So it helps me because I've had enough experience now to know that if I can pluck up the courage and ask for the Lord's help, get on the stage, open my mouth, something's going to come out, which people, I think people walk in and they're not given 3D glasses, they're given 3D hearing aids, I think, because they're hearing something that I'm not producing. So I think the Lord's doing something Whatever. (laughs) I'm serious.
0: Yeah. Well, it should be a great concert tour and it's been such a great treat to speak with you. I'm so privileged, as I said before. We'll end with uh, one of those... Great favourites from all of those years and uh, from those very early days on just a closer walk with thee. Judith yeah. Durham. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House.
1: Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Lots of love and lots of love to all the listeners. Bye for now.